Wow. The benefits of God's word in uh, affliction and discipline. And we're going to be looking tonight at um, general, um, a general principle in the Old Testament, which is uh, affliction, and a general principle in the New Testament, which is discipline. And yet both of them go back and are dependent totally on the Word of God. At this time of year, we start thinking about as a church next year. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could say that when January the 1st arrives, 2020 is in our rearview mirror, never to be seen again. But uh, there are signs that we're entering into 2021 and uh, we're taking possibly part of, at least culturally and societally, uh, part of 20 into 21 with this virus and all that goes with it. And we're going to be talking this weekend about the good news. We've had plenty of bad news, amen? And uh, it is imperative that you and I get out of the bad news and into the good news that Christ has for us. Well, let's talk about afflictions. Afflictions, let me give you some definitions. Uh, any difficult or painful circumstance, anybody gone through one of those in the last six or eight months, which, I, uh, which can include suffering from other people. Maybe some of you have experienced suffering from a neighbor. Uh, they mistreated you. They're, they're uh, not good neighbors. Pray for me and Alice. Our neighbors that moved in about a year or so ago, uh, attended our church, uh, lovely people. They were Tennessee Baptists, and yet we, uh, by the grace of God, they came around and were attending, and uh, they moved uh, yesterday and Monday, and it was so sad to look over there and see their dark house next to us, and then thinking, God, Who's moving in? And right before he left, he's a character, right before he left, uh, Monday we were talking, and I said, uh, you, so you still don't know who's coming in and how many people? He said, oh, yeah, they got six kids. And I'm like, what? And he's like, uh, I should have said yay, but I said, what? Because we live pretty close to each other. And uh, he said, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, but then I thought, well, maybe they do have six kids, and we've got a mission field right next to us. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, that's what I believe all of us should look at our neighbor as, if they don't know Christ, a mission field. Amen? And so, anyway, maybe you've gone through a hard time. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's an emotional thing you experienced in the last little bit, some pressure to bear upon your life. And uh, it includes affliction, includes the feeling of misery, suffering. Generally, um, generally, it doesn't include sickness, but it does include this uh, wide array and range of issues that people face. Now, I said it in the prayer. I'm going to say it again. Don't ever consider yourself a victim. We got the same problem. I got the same problem Reggie had Sunday. All right. So anyway, don't ever consider yourself a victim. Thank you. Uh, because you are not, all right? You may have had difficult circumstances, but 
Uh, don't consider yourself a victim. You may have reason to uh, struggle in certain areas, but um, don't consider yourself a victim. And thinking about this over the years, growing up poor, um, I didn't consider myself a victim because I had no one to feel sorry for me, all right? Uh, at times, I may have felt sorry for myself and had a little pity party. You know what that? You know what a pity party is? When you have a party and no one's invited but you. That's a pity party, all right? You're the only one invited, and uh, you feel sorry for yourself until uh, you get uh, realize that you're, it's not doing you any good. You got to get up. You got to go on. But now I look back and realize growing up poor had its advantages. So whatever you could claim as victimhood in your life, you can now look at that God is going to use it for his glory, amen? And so it turns into a good if we look at it like God use this, God use it. I don't know why I'm going through this, but you're gonna use it to benefit the kingdom of God and enrich my own life to be a blessing to others. Now, Psalm 119.67. Oh, I like this. Uh, most people think David wrote this psalm. There are others that literally think Ezra, um, the teacher of God's word, wrote it. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now... I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, going through all these difficult times, I went astray. But when I was afflicted, that affliction brought me back to God and to God's word. In the Old Testament, God used affliction to correct his people. Now, I'm going to talk in general terms, not uh, there may be elements of outside of this that would uh, lead uh, uh, us to conclude otherwise. But generally speaking, in the Old Testament, here is how God dealt with people who were wayward or his people who became disobedient or wayward. He would remove, now first of all, he showed mercy, 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 mercy. But if they persisted in their disobedience. Uh, one time, it took literally uh, 200 plus years before God poured out or allowed the judgment upon his people because he was so merciful. But then God removes his protection. We're talking Old Testament. He removes his protection and the enemy is allowed to come in and have cause havoc and turmoil, maybe using an enemy, and most of the time did, use an enemy of the people of God to rush in, take their crops, defeat them, and cause them to fall into poverty and despair until they cried out to the Lord. Then they would cry out to the Lord, return to him with all of their heart. And this happened over and over and over again. So generally speaking, that's the way affliction and discipline and returning to God happen in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, 
God uses his spirit. In other words, if you and I do something wrong, what does the spirit do? The spirit convicts you and I to draw us back to Christ. And uh, even in the Old Testament, let me go ahead and say this, I'll get ahead of myself a little. But in the Old Testament, most of those people were unaware that there was an enemy called Satan or Lucifer that was causing all of their havoc. They literally blamed it on God. And so they thought their affliction was coming from God. Uh, You go to the story of Job, and I'm sure you've read it. Job was greatly afflicted uh, physically. He was afflicted by the death of his children, the devastation economically to him. And so all of this happened. And what did Job do? As you read this story, you're amazed because you're, you're looking at it from hindsight thinking, uh, Job, don't you understand? This wasn't God. This was the devil. But literally in the Old Testament, they didn't have that concept of the devil. So they blamed all of their afflictions on God. And even though Job blamed all of his afflictions on God, he still did what? He fell down and worshiped God and declared the goodness of God, even though he thought God was causing all this devastation, all this loss of family, and I can't even imagine uh, to lose one child, much less all of your children at one time. Can we literally, I mean, think about it for a moment. All of us parents, if we got to, oh dear God, even the thought of it, I don't even want to say it. But if we lost even a child of ours, how many would fall upon our knees and say, I worship you, I worship you, God. You're a good God. Because even though we have a concept of the devil and know what the word says, he came to kill, steal, and destroy, there's something still that makes people blame it on God. I've had Christians that attended this church. They lost a loved one, and they blamed it on God. One family, a couple that were precious and dear and faithful, and she died. And then for years, he got away from God, uh, just couldn't get over the fact that, that somehow or another, well, if God didn't cause it, he could have prevented it. And uh, so God uh, uh, must not be good because He didn't stop it from happening. He may not have killed her or caused the disease, but he didn't stop it. So still there's that accusatory spirit in some people. Folks, let's don't ever get like that, amen. Don't ever, when crisis happens, let's honor God, let's bless his holy name, let's, uh, and get to the place where we say, God, if I am stripped of everything, I will still Praise your name, Lord. And uh, boy, when you get to that place, and when my kids were growing up, there were many times I'd thank God, Lord, I, I pray your protection over my kids. But if God, I, as an individual, want to get to the place in my faith 
that if even one child or all children were taken from me, that I would know they were in heaven and I would praise your name anyway. And even as I was saying it, but please, God, don't let it happen. I mean, I was still pleading the blood and praying for them. But there was still that part of me that knew I needed to get to the place that it may happen or if it did happen, even though I'm praying against it, uh, I'm still not going to turn my back on God. Folks, don't let anything ever cause you to turn your back on God. Ever, never. Hebrews. All right. When we come to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, let me read all of these verses. And it says, endure hardship as discipline. One translation says, chastening. Um, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So the word is saying, if you're a child of God, God is going to discipline us. Then he says, moreover, we all have human fathers who disciplined us. Uh, Listen, uh, I'm not talking about beatings. I know some of you uh, may have uh, received severe punishment and uh, put it behind you. Forgive them. Don't become a victim of even that horrible atrocity. Uh, Go on with God and be what God wants you to be. Amen? So when I read this, though, and years ago when I first read it, I'm like, oh, my goodness. God's going to beat me like my dad used to beat me? Now, when I think of this verse or when I read this verse, we all have human fathers who disciplined us. Wow. The first thing that comes to my mind, uh, maybe most of you have something too. Uh, If someone says to you, did your parent or your dad spank you growing up? What's the typical one thing that pops into your mind, the experience? The first thing that pops into my mind when I was about 12 years of age and I drove the tractor into the fence. And uh, dad, I'd already jerked the tractor and, and some okra fell out the back and the people had to pick it up. He was already mad about that. He wasn't a Christian, so he had a light fuse. And, uh, and so then I turned the tractor. I saw the fence coming. Well, it was actually just stationary, but it was, you know, felt like it was coming, and I drove right into it. And he took me off of that tractor, innocent, good-looking child that I was, uh, favored first son status, took me off that tractor, took his big old belt, and literally just laid into me for, God have mercy, for running into a fence. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Uh, I became the tractor driving champion of Jackson County. There, when you you experience pain, turn it into good, amen? I never drove into another fence in my life. Uh, And uh, so I became, I turned that into good, all right? But when I think of God disciplining me, the first experience I think about is that big old belt, And I'm like, 
Okay, well, this is, when I first read this years ago, I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what God's up to here. Uh, And you almost get that picture of God's got a big belt, and he's waiting for us to blow it. He's going to say, come here, turn around, and let us have it in some way. And we respected him for it. Yeah, okay, right. And so how much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Look at this. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay. So, uh, how does God discipline his children? So, does that mean uh, he stirs up people against us? Does that mean that he causes sickness? Does that mean that he causes financial loss? Uh, does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? And um, when, I, when I started looking at this verse, it's interesting what uh, the verse says that I'm going to give you in a moment. So, Hebrews 12 on the screen points out that our earthly fathers corrected us according to the flesh, but our heavenly father corrects us in our spirit man. It's the discipline word. Uh, No, God doesn't stir up neighbors against us. No, God doesn't cause us to get... uh, this virus, and, and, uh, and dear God, have mercy. I'm, uh, I'll be glad when this thing is over. I hope it's over at some point. Every time my nose feels a little funny, immediately my brain starts thinking there's little viruses in there crawling around. And so, uh, does anybody else ever have that experience? Uh, and and there have been several times over the last several months. And uh, one time I went in there and breathed hot steam to kill those little jokers. Uh, I, it's, uh, it's a mind trip too, but does God cause that? No, all right? He does not cause it. He came to give life and that more what? Abundantly. Does that include stirring up people against us, financial laws, going through what we've gone through? No. Uh, the enemy is involved in those kinds of things and death and harm and destruction God is not. So the discipline of God is not sickness or financial ruin or somebody stirred up against us or causing us problems. No. Let me give you 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired, or all Scripture is inspired or given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Here is how, now catch this, here is how God disciplines us. We're not talking about a fleshly discipline. We're talking about a spiritual discipline. Men discipline according to the flesh. God disciplines according to the spirit and is profitable for doctrine, uh, teaching, uh, theology, for reproof. What? What reproves us? 
Uh, the word reproves us for correction. What corrects us? The word corrects us for instruction in righteousness. It is the word of God that reproves us, corrects us, instructs us. Or in other words, disciplines our spirit that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, uh, for all righteousness, instruction in righteousness, that's holiness that we read in Hebrews 12 and uh, 7 through 11. So, we understand now, no, let's get away from this theology and this mindset that God is causing us problems. Even if we have done something wrong, even if we said something wrong, even uh, if we committed an act that was wrong, what happens? The holy, is God waiting to beat us somehow to cause us to go outside uh, the next morning and find a flat tire? Or the washer breaks down? Oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Dear God, have mercy. What does he do? I want you, angel, go down there. You see that washing machine? I mean, just tear it up. No. But we, how many of us ever think that? You know, we get a flat tire and we think, what's happening here? Um, yesterday, I, I came out, or last night when I went to go home, wasn't feeling that well, uh, and I left to go home, and I looked down, and there is a little picture of a tire on my screen. And I'm like, oh, great. Oh, great. It's cold. I am, I got a tire. I, I, I don't want to change this. I want to go home. God, why? I didn't say that. I didn't think that. Now, there was a day years ago. There was a day years ago that if I had a flat tire, I'm like, okay, I knew I should. I, I would have thought God was punishing me some way. I, uh, I came to Orlando when I was in Bible college, and I came to see a girl. And uh, so I was going home, and it was late at night. And, and my car, I had a, a 68 Camaro, and I was driving down the road, and I had a flat tire. Now, having a flat tire is not a big deal uh, unless you don't have a spare. And so, uh, anyway, so I pulled over, and I'm like, okay, I'm like 25 miles out of Lakeland where I was staying. Uh, what am I going to do? So, I pulled over. And sure, I thought, okay, God, what did I do? I'm searching my mind for what did I do? What did I do? How crazy. Get that crazy stuff out of your mind, all right? But that's where I was at the time because that's kind of how... I grew up. You have something bad happen to you, it's because you did something. You deserve this. So I pulled over. I go back there. I look. Well, I'm, I'm like, okay, maybe if I get on the side of I-4, drive slow. I'll get to Lakeland. We can fix it tomorrow. So I pull over. And um, I'm driving real slow. And, and all of a sudden, I realize that the tire is coming apart. And as the tire is coming apart, the pieces of rubber that are some six inches long, some of them, are hitting my fender. And so now I'm driving slow with a flat tire, with a tire that's disintegrating, hitting my fender. 
And I'm like, oh, great. I get out. I, I get a knife. I'm trying to cut the tire off. You can't cut a tire off. And uh, so I get back in, and I keep driving. Well, do you know sometimes when semis lose their thread on their tires, and it just kind of rolls over to the side of the road? Well, one of those situations had happened, and there was a piece of rubber laying in the road. I don't know why I didn't think about it, but I drove over it. It tore my muffler off. And now I'm thinking to myself, dear God, you hate me, don't you? You literally hate me, God. And um, at that point, I get out. I put the muffler, of course, it's hot. And I'm trying to get it back on and wire it back up. Part of the problem was it was wired up to start with. And so um, now I'm going again. Um, it falls off again. And by this time, I'm ready to just say, God, I surrender all. I surrender all. Um, God, I don't know all that I've done, but I have surely been punished tonight for all of my past transgressions. Eventually, about three or four in the morning, I limped into Lakeland, into my sister's neighborhood where I was staying, pulled in with that car, and it's sounding like a log truck because my muffler was mostly off, barely dangling on the car. Looking back, I'm like, God, I don't know what I did, but God, this, this is God. I, he's causing this to happen for a reason. How foolish, how silly, how ridiculous for you to think that that flat tire was a result of wrongdoing in my life. God doesn't like it when we're out beside the road and it's cold like it was that night while I'm outside trying to cut a tire off or a piece of tire off of a big tire. No, God loves us. Do you think that we should picture him as like, this is what you get? Uh, you shouldn't be doing what I told you not to do. And so if you do it again, I'm going to ruin another tire. All right, so, and, uh, so you better get your act together. no. That's not how God works. He works on us and disciplines our spirit by the word of God. And this is incredible when you think about it. Uh, the Old Testament, yes, God had mercy, mercy, mercy. Then he would lift uh, his presence of protection. The enemy rushes in. The people would cry out in him, and God would bring them back to himself and cover them with protection. But in the New Testament, he disciplines our spirit by his word, when we do wrong, he doesn't cause a flat tire. He sends the Holy Spirit to convict us and draw us to himself and his word. Well, the answer in the Old Testament and the New Testament was the word. Let me just finish with giving you some incredible scripture, most of them right out of Psalm 119.67. Here it is. Let me read it again. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Remember, the psalmist is thinking God is causing the affliction. But now I keep your word. So he was thinking, oh, I was afflicted, but now I'm going to keep your word, Lord. The psalmist happened to add, or hastens to add, in verse 68, concerning the goodness of God, he says, you are good and do good. Teach me your 
statutes or your word. And then in verse 71, same psalm, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes or your word, your law. All right, and so then we go on. Let me read all these different scriptures for you. Psalm 119.75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. See, there was a wrong judgment. Job said it was God. The psalmist says, you did it. No, he didn't. No, he did not. Uh, he may have lifted a protection if some the nation went into sin and refused after many repeated calls to turn back. He may have lifted that protection that caused the enemy to rush in, but he did not do it. We're talking about, generally speaking, there may be exceptions where um, otherwise, but we're talking about, generally speaking, Psalm 192, or 19, 92, unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. They ran back. In the Old Testament, when they were harassed, afflicted by the enemy, they would come running back to God time and time and time again. But it wasn't God causing it. He may have lifted, yes, but it was after repeated, 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 reaching out, extending mercy. And for us, verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Your word has given me life. Now, folks, um, when we go through a difficult time, um, like I said, don't blame it on God. Don't blame the washing machine breaking down, the, the bank account being uh, empty. Don't blame the fact that you don't have money to pay rent or whatever, you lost your job. Don't blame God. Understand God is good and that we should worship him in the good times as well as the more difficult times. But he's not in the business of causing flat tires. So let's get out of the business of thinking he is and understanding he is a loving God who sends his spirit to convict us if we've done wrong, going the wrong way. He disciplines us by bringing us back to his word that is doctrinally sound, that corrects us, the word corrects us, it reproves us, it brings righteousness to our lives. Folks, let's get back in the word, amen? Psalm 119, verse nine. One of the last, well, two more verses. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? The benefits of God's word, number one, comfort. Number two, counsel. Number three, cleansing. And the last verse that I'm gonna give you, great peace, verse 165, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Folks, here's what happens in a nutshell. 
You and I as believers, God disciplines us by his word and by his spirit drawing us back to his word. That's how he disciplines us, not by flat tires or broken washing machines or empty bank accounts. Now, he may use those things if we find ourselves in one of them as we call on him, but that is not how he disciplines us. He's not the father with the big belt that's angry because we've already done something else and now comes in to lay into us. He's not like us. How many of you dads like me? Um, I was overall pretty good dad, but there were times I got angry at my kids and disciplined them more than I should. Any dads here that ever did that? No, just me. All right, great. All right, so no, a couple of you. All right, great sinners that we are. All right, so what do we do? What do you do? I mean, we, God's not like that. God doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't get angry at us and say, ah, wish I'd never caused them to be born again. Wish I'd never forgiven their sin. No, of course not. My God, have mercy. Turn to the word, folks. It's the discipline of the word that causes us to grow. It's the discipline of the word that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 11 is talking about not some heavy hand from God causing us pain. Bow your heads with us, please. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, help us never, ever as a church, as people of God, to blame you. God, I pray we never count ourselves a victim, but a victor. Oh, God, over all the power of the enemy, over anything this world throws our way, God, we are more than conquerors through Christ our Lord. And Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help all of us to be disciplined by your word, to be brought correction by your word, to grow in righteousness by your word. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for the work that you do in our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us to grow and mature and understand that, Lord, what others accuse you of, we clearly see is a false reality. I pray, God, that we would never, ever accuse you of any wrongdoing toward our lives, even in great loss that brings great pain. God, may we never accuse you. But God, may we be such men and women of faith that like Job, even though he didn't understand, he did one thing, Lord, that challenges our heart. He believed even when you wronged him, you were still good and you worship, he worshiped you. God, make us Job's in this world today. Make us Job's, O oh Lord God, that stand firm and lift up your name above all else and walk in your word and become the mature, disciplined saints of God you want us to be.